want to talk to you today about something that's going to change your life. Maybe you've reached the pinnacle of your dream. Maybe you've accomplished everything you've ever wanted and you found it still to be lacking. What I'm going to say today is going to put things in perspective for you and change things. Maybe you're in a crisis right now and you can't understand what is God trying to do in the middle of this crisis. This is going to help you to understand that. Maybe you're just like kind of been floating around and thinking, <clears throat> it just feels like my family, generation after generation, just kind of caught up in this same mess. You can be the one that changes that. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want you to pull out your sermon notes with me. We're going to look at, I, kind of, I named it something kind of crazy, the backside of a God named Jealous. Now in your notes there it says Jesus because they couldn't believe that God's name was Jealous either. Alright? But God actually says his name is Jealous. And that's what I want you to write there in your notes. The backside of a God named Jealous. Moses, we're talking about him as we're in this series called His Story, History. I'm talking about how God has put everything together for us. I want to just read you some verses from Exodus chapter 33. Verse 18, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. You can look on the screen, or I have it there for you in your notes. It says, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me. And you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by. That I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away. And you will see my back. But my face shall not be seen. We find out some crazy things about God here. One is that if we were to ever see him in all of his glory face to face as he is in our human body we would be reduced to ashes you can't see me and live God says so I'm going to cover you I'll let you see the back of me but not the front of me because you could never live if you saw my face being a human being you couldn't live and then I want you to see this is the deepest prayer ever prayed in all of the Old Testament Usually when we pray a prayer, we, we say, uh, Lord, help me find a job, or heal me of this disease, or increase my faith, or save me from this trouble. We're asking for some special favor from God, and those are good prayers because they remind us and they teach us that God is God and we are not, that we need his help, that he's the one that's in charge, and we're not. But this prayer of Moses is in a category all by itself, entirely alone. It's, it, no other request can compare to it. You see, he's saying, God, show me your glory. And God's glory is the totality of who God is. It's God in his entirety. It's the value of God. It's the weight of God made known. It's God in all of his justice. God in all of his love, God in all of his mercy, God in all of the light that he is, God in 
all of the holiness that he is, all of these things, all of his attributes, that's the glory of God, the, the value of God made knowable. Let, let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of a, an illustration that when you understand value or weight, you know, we talk a lot of times about the value of the U.S. dollar and the glory of a U.S. dollar, if you wanted to put it this way, would be what it's worth around the globe. Well, so far, it's been the premier currency in all of the world, and that helps us a lot in the United States. It's got a lot of value, a lot of glory, if you will, if you compare it to other currencies. But the value or the glory of a dollar moves up and down all the time. Have you noticed that? Like if you were in Mexico for a while there, the value of a dollar was 20 pesos. Now it's like 15, 16. It's moving around. It moves around all the time. Compare that to the Venezuelan Bolivar, which is their um, unit of currency. It, it's, it's crazy. It, you might be looking at what's going on in Venezuela right now. The Bolivar has lost value, so much value. It used to be worth almost one to one with the dollar. Now it's 12,000 to one on the black market. Now it's 10 to one if you go to the bank, but no one wants to go to the bank because it's 10 to one in the black, you know what it's really, it's real value is on the black market, 12,000 to one. You risk six years in prison, but that's where everybody changes their money. They're not gonna change their dollar and get 10 to one. And you see the Bolivar has lost its glory. In fact, one of the Venezuelans recently was, I just read even just yesterday, he was, he was wailing about it. He was saying the fake money on the online game World of Warcraft is worth more than the Bolivar. It's like 6,000, you get 6,000 for a dollar online. You can get 12,000 Bolivars for a dollar. So you see, it's lost so much weight, it's lost so much glory. And basically that's what it looks like. God's weight, his glory is gonna always stay strong. It's gonna stay the same. It's not gonna budge, it's not gonna move. But what we're gonna see is all these other things fluctuate all over the place. Now we can only understand this request if we understand the context of it. This was a time of great crisis in Moses' life. A really interesting time. God had just called Moses up on the holy mountain, Mount Sinai, to give him the Ten Commandments. And God had actually, while he was up there, written the Ten Commandments with his own finger, the Bible says. I don't know what that looked like. It must have been crazy to be Moses. You know, on the, in the movie, the Ten Commandments, it's like this finger of fire that comes and just starts to write, thou shalt have no other gods before me, all of these different things. And I don't know what it really looked like, but God carved out these tablets of stone with his Ten Commandments on them. And Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days. That's almost a month and a half if you think about it. So he goes up the mountain and there's all this smoke and fire and rumbling and and the people think he's probably dead. And so what they do is they revert back to their old ways. They're just a mess. So they make a golden calf for themselves. And they begin to worship the golden calf and say, this is the God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And they begin, it's a lot of revelry. There's a lot of, uh, they go back to the worst practices of the Egyptians. Some of the sexuality and the worship and all that. It's just like this giant out of control party. Moses hears it and he comes back down the mountain. And he sees the people involved in all of this mess. 
and he's angry and he throws the tablets and they break. 3,000 of the Israelites are killed. And out of this, God speaks. Let me just read to you what God says and we'll catch up to where Moses says, show me your glory. Exodus 33, 1 through 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought up from the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Notice this. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out your enemies. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. Here we get a little bit of insight into the glory of God, the worth, the value of God. You see the people, they're just a mess and God is saying to them, I'm going to give you everything you want. I'm going to give you freedom from enemies. I'm going to destroy your enemies. I'm going to give you wealth beyond your wildest imaginations, a whole new land. I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to give you everything your heart desires, but you don't get me. Now, these people might have been a mess, but I think they know more than most of us in America today because they realize that this was a devastating word from God. They realized that this was a disastrous word from God and they began to mourn for what they had done. And, and they, they realized, they began to cry. They began to fall on their face before God because they weren't going to have His presence one of the ways that we know God is glorious is because God is better than any other thing. God is better than everything else. He said, I'm going to destroy your enemies. But this people understood what we miss sometimes, that just having a lack of enemies doesn't bring peace. In fact, some of you have this amazing peace right now that passes understanding. You're surrounded by enemies all around, it seems like. But God has given you this deep peace because his presence is with you. If you don't have God's presence, it doesn't matter. You're not going to have peace. It doesn't matter what your external situation is. You won't have peace. I learned this at a really young age. When I was about five years old, I was really scared of the dark. And it's funny because my little sister, Mana, she wasn't scared of the dark, so I would send her in like to dark room, you know, to get me a drink of water or something. Carrie and I both did that. We were both scared of the dark. But I would walk around the house at night, like if I had to get up for water or use the bathroom or something, I would put my fist like this on my chin and hold my hand right in front. And you'd say, that's weird for a little five-year-old. Why would you do that? No, it's brilliant. Because if someone was hiding behind the door, with a rope and they jumped out and tried to choke me. Look, look what would happen. <laughs> it was brilliant. So I would walk around the house like this. Ha! No one's going to choke me. Brilliant kid that I was. You say, that's just kind of foolish. Yeah. But I was five. You know, I, I, don't, I stopped when I was 19. No, the... My parents saw me doing that one time. What are you doing? I said, I, well, you know, I explained to them, you know, the whole concept behind it, the brilliant concept I had. 
They taught me a Bible verse. What time I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And then another one, for you are with me. And I started realizing that God's presence was there. And it just kind of loosened me up a lot and brought a peace. You see, the darkness with God's presence, it's okay. Without it, it's terrible. It's terrifying. And, And I'm so glad my parents taught me that as a little kid. God offered them an amazing amount of wealth. Wealth beyond their wildest imagination, a land flowing with milk and honey, but wealth without the presence of God to make our hearts generous. It's just poisonous, doesn't it? He offered them comfort. Comfort, again, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. Your crops will grow. You'll have more comfort than ever. But they saw that comfort without God. What's the point? What is the the point of it? Now, the great American dream really is comfort, right? Our our teenagers went to Nicaragua this last couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago with Laura and me, and and they were just stunned. They kept saying over and over, these people have nothing, and yet they seem so much happier than we are in America. You know, we're more comfortable than we've ever been. In fact, than any people have ever been in the history of the world. And yet we're more medicated than any people has ever been, right? What's wrong there? What's going on there? There's something missing there. Jesus said it this way. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it even look like for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? I was searching, I found a couple of scientific journals that really help us with that. What it looks like to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. You know, uh, this one and, and, and Us Weekly, it looks like Angie and Brad might be trying to get back together. But she did call him a monster. But now it's all good, I think. I'm not sure. And, um, oh, Chris Pratt and Anna Ferris are separating. I just thought they'd make it. Didn't you? I mean, I thought they were going to make it. I just, but now he's getting so much more famous than her. They said in here that, and also he might have had a couple of affairs or something. I don't know for sure. But, and then the Bachelorette, she just followed her heart. She really liked this other guy. She loved him, but she followed her heart for this guy. That's going to last. I'm pretty sure. Except in this one, it said that the last Bachelor, it, it didn't last because they were engaged and everything was going good. But as she sat with him on the couch to watch. The episodes unfold, and he told all these other women that he loved them and then slept with them that it didn't go well. I thought, well, that girl has a problem. And uh, what does it look like to gain the whole world and be in People magazine? You can't keep a a stable relationship. Uh, This is who we want to be. These are our heroes. We, We study them. We look to them. We follow them on Instagram, right? And yet, it's so empty. Matt Chandler says this, when all is said and done, God is the longing underneath our dreams. God is the longing underneath our dreams. There's nothing wrong with with, with wanting to be an actress or wanting to be CEO or wanting to be a professional athlete or have that dream wedding. All of those are good things But they're empty without God. 
Solomon said, you've placed eternity in our hearts. And what it means is nothing's going to satisfy but you. And so we can get to the very pinnacle. Some of you in here, you say, I've made my millions. I've done what I set out to do in life. And we found it to be lacking. It's lacking. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't measure up. I, I want to encourage you to really go for it in life. But I want you to know that you're only going to find what you're looking for in God. Yeah, work hard. Yeah, study hard. Yeah, do all of those things. Whatever your hand finds to do, the Bible says, do it with all your might. But let me tell you something. You're only going to find your longings fulfilled in God. That's glory. He's the only one that has glory. Validation is what we're looking for. We all want someone to see us, to know us, to tell me I matter, that I'm something, that I'm loved. So we become valedictorians. We become athletes. We become bodybuilders. We look for relationships with people who might show us exactly that. Tell me I matter. But let me tell you something. The only one who speaks that that changes everything is God himself. Because only God is glorious. He's the only thing that holds the weight. He's the only thing that holds the glory that doesn't change. He is the validating one. And the only one that our soul will truly be validated by. Everything else is in flux. Louis the Great, Louis the Fourteenth. he called himself the Great. And uh, he reigned for 72 years in France and died in 1715. He's the one that said, I am the state. He was this amazing, powerful ruler. And when it came time for his funeral, they laid him in a golden coffin, pure gold, not just plated. And in the big cathedral, Bishop Massillon was to speak, and they knew he was an orator. Of, of Everybody was so looking forward to coming and hearing him expound upon Louis the Great's amazing reign and his life. And when they got there, there was a single candle, a big candle with a flame that lit the whole place, one candle. And it was right by the coffin of Louis the Great. Bishop Massillon got up to speak. And he leaned over, and with his fingers, he snuffed out the candle, pitch blackness. And in the pitch blackness, he said, only God is great. And that was the end of the service. But they never forgot it. That would be like in our day, you know, at Obama's funeral, saying only God can bring hope and change. At Trump's funeral, saying only God is huge, right? Only God can win bigly. None of us, none of us can do that. Only God has glory. Moses goes on in verse 13 of 33. Now therefore I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. So that I may find favor in your sight. Sounds circular, but it's moving toward the heart of God. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now, this is how you know Moses was a great leader. Listen to this next part. God said, Moses, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And a lot of leaders will go, 
worship. Okay, start a new great nation with me. That sounds good. That's not what Moses said. Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. You see how much Moses understood? They were community together. They were family together. But he was also understood the glory of God. He said, if your glory doesn't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to leave here. Don't even move us. Just kill us. Just end it. Why do it? Because nothing else is going to be of value. You know, when you're flipping the, the, the TV on a Sunday morning at home and you see all these different preachers and you might get confused sometimes because it seems like some of them are saying what Christianity is, it's about being wealthy. God will make you wealthy. God will make you healthy. God will heal all your diseases. But let me tell you what Christianity really is. God does amazing miracles. He does it all the time. But it's not about that. Christianity is the presence of God in our lives. That's what it is. It's God's presence in our lives. When Moses said, show me your glory, he said, I want to know all of you, God. I want to know everything about you. And when he prayed it, it was a, a time of great crisis. All this had happened. The Israelites had failed miserably. They were on their face in mourning. And Moses says, show me your glory. A lot of times when God shows us himself, it's in a time of crisis. I read this this week. A man with terminal cancer wrote, I've come to peaceful terms finally with my cancer. Not only that, but God gave me the ability to see how cancer is useful in my life. Cancer clears away the cobwebs. Cancer clarifies. Cancer makes concise. Cancer enables you to find comfort in God and freedom from the world's entrapments. If I did not have cancer, I would never have discovered these things. Out of the crisis of cancer, I have come to a new understanding of God. It clarifies everything. We learn more in the darkness than we ever do in the light. And God understands that and he's willing to let us go on that journey so that we come to the understanding of what really matters and what really counts. In a sense, Moses didn't have any idea what he was asking for. He wanted to see God's glory, but it was dangerous. So dangerous, God would have to hide him in, in a, a, the cleft of the rock, a, a cave in the, the rock, so that when he passed by, he wouldn't die. Have you ever prayed for things? Some, some of you are living life right now, and you're going like, life is so frustrating. It just seems like everything's going wrong right now. Did you pray for patience earlier? See, sometimes God's answering your prayers. Sometimes you pray for things you don't know what's coming, right? You pray for patience and all of a sudden everything just seems to go haywire and God's going like, I'm trying to teach you patience. Oh, I forgot, right? Have you ever prayed this one? Lord, make me like Jesus. That's a terrible one to pray. Don't pray that. You remember what Jesus had to go through? I'd be like, God, make me like Jesus, but do it really, really slow and really, really sweet, right? But there's not any slow and sweet in some of this. We pray, God, I want to know you. I want to be like you. And we don't even realize. Ray, Ray Pritchard is one of my pastor heroes. He prayed, God, give me wisdom. And he said he got really sick after that. And, and he said he was never sick. He hadn't been sick in like 35 years. And in the middle of this sickness, while well, he was really down and out, he said his mother died. She was 81. She had Alzheimer's. But 
still hits you hard when a parent dies. He said, if you've never had that, you don't, won't understand. But, but it, it's, it, it like just hammers you. He was so sick, he had to lay down in the back of the car as his wife drove him to the funeral. And he said, when he got there, he was to preach it. His dad had died 30 years before, and they were burying his mom right beside him. And he said, as he stood up to speak, he said, I don't know what it was. I, I, I don't know if it was because I, I was sick or, or, or what was happening exactly. Or was it because my mom died and he was right there by my dad who had died 30 years earlier. But it was all of a sudden as if there was a wrinkle in time. And all of these people that had gathered, 100 people, he had known them. They were at his dad's funeral. He said he was 20 when his dad died. He was 50 now. They were in their 50s. They were 80 and on. And uh, he said, but it was like no time had passed at all. And in that moment, as it all just seemed to jumble together, he said it was as if God whispered in his ear, Ray, this is the truth. This is what life looks like. Yesterday, they buried your dad. Today, they buried your mom. Tomorrow, they bury you. And he said, yeah, I understand. There may be decades in between each of those, but in God's eyes, it was all, and it's so short, and it's so quick. And he said, I can't get it out of my head. It's like I want to clarify everything. I want to simplify everything. I want to get down to only what really matters in my life and let everything else go. And then all of a sudden, he said, I guess you could call it wisdom. Prayed for wisdom, and God gave me wisdom. Moses says, show me your glory, and God does it. God shows him his glory. He shows him. In fact, he reveals another name to him. And this name is hard for us to understand. Let me just read it to you in Exodus 34, 5 through 7. So there's Moses on the mountain. God comes and puts his hand over him in the cleft of the rock. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. Then God said, behold, I'm going to make a covenant before all your people. I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations. And all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord. For it's a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. Be sure to observe what I'm commanding you this day. For you shall not worship any other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a Jealous. First thing he says as he passes by, this is me. This is who I am. I'm a God of mercy. Aren't you glad he's a God of mercy? I'm abounding in loving kindness. Laura said, after I preached last week about God being in the eternal presence, she said, it just dawned on me. To God, the Holocaust is happening right now. To God, World War I and World War II, those wars to end all wars are happening right now. To God right now, the genocide in Burundi and Rwanda. And Serbia, Croatia, all of those things are all happening 
right now? How can God even look at us when he sees all of this right before him? Because he's outside of time. He sees it all at once, all right now. I don't know. I'm glad he's a God that's slow to anger, he says. Abounding in loving kindness. I don't even know how he loves us like he does, but he does. And he's a God of mercy. When we talk about God's glory, what we're saying is he's better than anything else we could ever grasp. And that's the thing we're going to have to fight against all of our lives. Is letting other things define our identity and who we are. It's just going to be the fight of our whole life. And when we miss it, get this, when we miss it, then our children miss it. And their children miss it. And their children miss it. The third and the fourth generation. You see, God is glorious and only God is glorious. Only his presence will do. Only his presence will make the difference. And then he says, my name is jealous. Now, human jealousy is love that turns murderous. But godly jealousy is love. It's angered love, but it stays love. Angry for you. Why? Because you're missing out on the one best thing. Yes. When he sees you piddling around with these other things, thinking that they're going to bring satisfaction, he's jealous for you because he wants the best for you. What's the very best for you? Himself. When I asked Laura to marry me 35 years ago, we've been married 34 years, we're engaged for a year. 35 years ago, it wasn't the most romantic way to do it. I just wasn't that romantic. I still am not a great romantic. I'm so disappointed in myself, you know. But I had memorized this little speech. It was Christmas Eve, and I was so sure it was a good one. And by the time I, I was so nervous when I asked her to marry me that I just, we were sitting in the car. So that's romantic, sitting in the car together. I reached in the glove compartment and pulled out the ring, romantic. And um, opened it up in my little speech. I said, Laura, it's Christmas Eve. This is the night that God gave us the greatest gift that he could ever give to us as human beings. And I want to give you the greatest gift I could ever, any, uh, I could ever give you me. That didn't turn out right. But she goes, I'll take it. thankfully okay now it turned out probably not to be the greatest gift ever you know but God is the greatest gift it's the gift of himself that's what Jesus did Jesus gave himself to us in fact it's all about relationship that's the whole thing about the glory of God it's his presence in us it's interesting because the only thing we have to compare it to is marriage Paul taught in Ephesians 5, and we think he's talking about marriage. He said, husbands, love your wives. But he's not talking about marriage. He said, like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, human marriage, I mean, human jealousy, when pushed, it kills. But godly jealousy, when pushed, it dies for us. And that's what it's all about. 